0: As much as I think that I am a uh, fairly intelligent, thoughtful person, reading the gospel stories about Jesus uh, frequently confronts me with areas of my life and thoughts and actions uh, that are far from resembling the thoughts and actions of Jesus. It's not like I've had. Uh, visions of taking over for Jesus, but I've generally felt that I am at least a a somewhat decent representative uh, for Jesus. Then I come across a story like this one for this morning, and I think to myself, wow, it is really a good thing that I am not in charge. I do not have the capacity for grace That Jesus does. And I'm not talking about having grace for the main character, the main person in this story, the woman. That is clearly the event that most reveals the unfathomable grace of our Lord Christ. The grace he gives to the woman in this story went against nearly every convention of the time for what was Good and right. It was this story, among many others like it in the Gospels, that revealed God's view of the equality of women and men. A truth that is still not universally accepted among all people, including sadly far too many who claim to be followers of Jesus. But which is at least now one of the formal tenets of the faith that we proclaim as a Presbyterian congregation. This is one of the reasons that I chose to be ordained in this denomination, the PCUSA, because I believe that this is God's truth, the equality of men and women. This is not the expression of Christ's grace that gives me pause. I'm pretty sure all of us here this morning or streaming uh, rejoice in the way that Jesus treats the woman who was so unjustly treated by the men. What catches me up is a little move toward the end of the story that I hadn't really paid that much attention to before or had probably thought of in a different way, but which I now believe um, and so I now believe that when Jesus bends down to right in the ground the second time, that it is an act of grace that challenges my sense of any limit to God's grace. I believe that this story as a whole reminds us that the grace of Christ embraces everyone. Everyone. At the time in which this story took place, the scandalous behavior of Jesus was the dignity he extended to the woman caught in the act of adultery and brought before him. The positive way to state the context for her action is that the sanctity of the marital relationship was extremely valued in the society. So to break the intimacy of that relationship between husband and wife was considered as evil as murder. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees were correct in saying that the punishment was stoning to death. This woman had been caught in the act of adultery and justice dictated capital punishment. But these men had no interest in justice. They were simply using the woman, this human being, as a tool, trying to get Jesus to incriminate himself. If Jesus had agreed that she should be stoned, he would have been upholding the Torah, but he would be showing an uncharacteristic and very legalistic cruelty. And the Roman government had recently banned the right of the Jewish authorities to inflict capital punishment, so Jesus would also have been risking an earlier confrontation with the Roman authorities. Now, if Jesus had said she should not be stoned, then he would have been contradicting the Torah. They, the, the, Teachers of the law and the Pharisees, all men, uh, did not care about the woman at all. Instead, we hear in verse 6, they were using this question about her as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Even more disgustingly, the teachers and Pharisees only dragged the woman before Jesus and the crowd. They even say that she was caught in the act of adultery. Okay, where's the guy? It takes two to be caught in adultery. But he's not there. In fact, to the credit of the original law, both men, I mean both women and men, who were caught in this act were to be stoned to death. Both, but here we only have the woman. It's pretty infuriating uh, how misogyny still blinds many men even up to this day. In trying to explain Uh, why the Pharisees only dragged the woman in front of Jesus, one of the male commentators that I read wrote, nothing is mentioned of her lover who must have escaped. I read that and I thought, yeah, that's it. He escaped. Everything in the law and culture of the time supported the actions of these men and the punishment of the woman. But Jesus surrounds this woman with a cloak of grace. The first thing he does is a little odd. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. There are a lot of guesses, a lot of guesses about why Jesus did this and what he wrote in the ground. But my favorite idea comes from Dale Bruner, the former professor at Whitworth Whitworth University. He writes, I think it likely that Jesus' stooping to write on the ground served to draw the crowd's accusing looks from the woman. He did this so they wouldn't be focused on her. They would focus on him. Jesus then confronts the men with their hypocrisy. Basically saying to them if you want to talk justice then let's really talk justice. In verse 7 when they kept on questioning him he straightened up and said if any one of you is without sin go ahead be the first to throw a stone at her. The NIV actually weakens uh, the challenge in Jesus' words, by inserting this conditional if. The way the NIV translated it says, if any one of you is without sin, making it sound like there's any doubt. Literally, in the Greek, it is the one of you without sin. Be the first to throw a stone at her. It's very much a, a confrontation, a, a challenge. Even after the men walk away, though, and it is just Jesus and the woman, his grace continues. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Dale Bruner points out the graciousness, even in the way these questions come up. Jesus, Brunner writes, Jesus follows his address, woman, which was actually just a, a fairly common. It wasn't pointed or anything. He follows his address with an objective, neutral, not subjective, emotional question. Where are they? Instead of, so, why did you do it? He could have gotten very judgmental now that they weren't there and still sort of been within his rights, but that's not who Jesus is. His grace continues. Where are they not, so why did you do it? Even Jesus's yes-no question, did, they, did no one condemn you? Bruner writes, this inform- informational question may also be intended to relax her and to treat her as a human being. Then, Jesus pronounces his own judgment. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Again, the NIV weakens this response a bit by adding, then. Did no one condemn you? No one, sir. Then neither do I. That's not in there. It makes it sound like, okay, well, if they didn't, then I won't. But that's not the way it is. It's literally, neither do I condemn you. In this story, we see an example of what it looks like to live out the truth that we heard Paul express in his letter to the Gal- Galatians. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. The grace of with which Jesus cloaked this woman was so scandalous at the time that some scholars believe that the people copying the early manuscripts of the the Gospels wouldn't include this story. You'll see in a lot, almost every Bible there's, this story is set off in brackets or some sort of parentheses or italics or something because it wasn't in the very earliest manuscripts that we can find. It wasn't until about the third century that it actually started to show up in uh, manuscripts of the Gospel of John. And actually it showed up sometimes in, in Luke. Uh, so what a lot of scholars believe at this point is that this story was part of the oral tradition of stories about Jesus that were being shared and wasn't included either wasn't included in the original uh, writing of the gospels because the uh, the people just thought it was too scandalous or it had been in there and then it got taken out because it was too scandalous and it wasn't until years of living out with the holy spirit's holy spirit's guidance the the equality of male and female, woman and man, in the church that people got to the point where they accepted that this is gospel, this is true. And it began to be included and now it's included in all gospels. We have been given this beautiful story as a revelation of God's abundant grace. As St. Augustine, one of the early church leaders, put it, in the end, only the two are left, misery and mercy. In the end, only the two are left together at the scene, misery and mercy. But it's the third M, the misogynists, involved in the story that really catch me up. I love the way that they come at Jesus with their, you know, perfectly planned trap for him, full of hatred and hurt. And Jesus completely disarms them. If it had been me and I had somehow come up with that brilliant plan of his writing in the ground and then confronting him that if, if that had been me. As they were walking away, I would have been taunting them totally. Oh yeah, who's the tough guy now? Go dwelleth in your sty of sin. But that's not what Jesus does. Instead, Jesus stooped down again and wrote on the ground a second time. Why? Dale Bruner ventures this thought: The redundance of stooping down a second time suggests that Jesus may now be trying to avert the crowd's critical attention from the accused accusers, the accused accusers, and from their shame, just as he had earlier sought to protect the woman from her shame and shamers. Jesus is the consummate protector of persons. Again, the beauty of Augustine's writing supports his wisdom as he writes, When the Lord had struck them, the men, with the spear of justice, he deigned not to watch them collapse, but with his view turned away from them, he again wrote on the ground. That's the grace that confronts me. I often get stuck in the harshness of judgment or thirst for vengeance. Thankfully, I don't have that much opportunity to exact it. (laughs) For, as this story reminds me and all followers of Christ... The grace of of Christ embraces everyone. Everyone. Thanks be to God. Let's join together now in hymn number 280, Amazing Grace.